We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Bogdanovich with a rebound and a long outlet to Matthews. Left edge for three. Matthews is starting the game effectively with three-point shots early. And now with five and a half minutes gone, Boston takes the first time out. Two three-point baskets by Matthews. He has six of Indiana's 12. And with 6.20 left in the quarter, the Pacers lead the Celtics 12-6. Matthews on the baseline. Irving is all over him. Matthews trying to get rid of it. And finally, he lost the ball. But it's recovered by Sabonis. Five to shoot, out to Joseph. One dribble and a three from right of center. 43-33, Indiana reestablishing that double-figure lead. Irving driving on Matthews, gets left baseline. Now a fadeaway from the baseline, and Irving scores again. That, that shot couldn't be any tougher. Wesley Matthews, you just tip your hat down there and just continue to work. They've outscored Indiana in the third quarter, 13-1. They have a game-high five-point lead. Baines rebounds with four to go. Rosier into the forecourt. Long three, and he beat the clock from 35 feet away with a tenth of a second to play in the third quarter, and Boston will take an 11-point lead to the fourth. They outscored Indiana by 18 points in the third quarter. And through three, it's the Boston Celtics, 64. The Indiana Pacers, 53. Irving with the left hand heaves at the length of the floor, and Tatum lets a three go from the sideline. As tough as that shot was by Jason Tatum, I'm pretty sure the left-hand length of the four pass is yeah, better. That was impressive. From backcourt down below the foul line with the offhand. And it's now 84-62. to 62. And The final in game one was the Boston Celtics, 84. The Indiana Pacers, 74. Welcome back, everybody, to Setting the Pace. We're going to give our post-game one thoughts and give you some tips on what the Pacers can do for Game 2. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Joining me are my co-hosts, as always, Tyler Smith and Mike Focci. This is episode number 26. Focci, give me the most famous number 26 in Pacers history. 
I think it's got to be Ben Moore last year. I mean, <laughs> if you're not a diehard Ben Moore fan, you came to the wrong place. Yeah, anybody else for number 26? Uh, in 1982, Tom Owens. So not uh, too common of a, of a jersey number for the Pacers. Tyler, have you heard of Tom Owens? I have not heard of Tom Owens. I was not born yet, as you guys were not either, but uh, I've never heard that name before. Yeah, well, just to get a little uh, insight, Tyler, uh, how, how's the baby coming? Any uh, updates? Still in the womb. So. Still in the womb? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be uh, within the next week or so, so we'll see uh, if we have a Pacer playoff baby or uh, what's going on. We'll see what happens. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's get into yesterday's uh, interesting game. Looked like a really nice first half for the Pacers. Could have been a little bit better. Uh, the two for 19 from the field in the third quarter was just absolutely terrible. The fourth quarter, not much better. Uh, just kind of got themselves in a really deep hole and couldn't get themselves out of it. So, Tyler, what were your thoughts on just the game overall? Well, if Portland is Rip City, Indiana was Brick City in that game. <laughs> uh, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, if if you look at back to the regular season series with Boston and how they torched the Pacers in every way, you know, scoring 118 points per hundred possessions, um, which was their most efficient offense, by the way, against any playoff team. And then, you know, the Pacers hold them to 84 points and like, you've got to find a way to win that game. So, I mean, this may end up being the game that got away. I know it was kind of a blowout towards the end. So some fans probably won't look at it like it's a game they gave away, but man, you hold that team to 84 points, you've got to find a way to get that in the win column. I don't know what else to say other than Brick City. It was uh, it was ridiculous. Eight well, points in one well, quarter. Great. Well, let, me, let me ask you this. Do you think it was just the missing open shots, or was Boston's defense adjusted in that second half? I'd say a combination of both. I mean, they uh, they really know how to defend bogey. Um, they, you know, especially without the Pacers having Oladipo and honestly having a pretty predictable offensive scheme. Um Boston does a good job defending, but at the same time, this was in my keys for the series. Pacers knocked down some shots, get some confidence, and just didn't happen. That can cover yeah. up some holes that you have, and it just didn't happen. Well, before I get to you, Fachi, I want to ask Tyler about this. I, was it just me, or did you notice Kyrie Irving did a really nice job defending the pick-and-roll uh, with, with Collison and uh, Miles Turner? It seemed like Collison loves to do the behind-the-back pass, and it felt like uh, to me, Kyrie was, you know, shifting over defensively to prevent that and making that pass, you know, a little bit tougher for Carlson, who did not play well to me at all in that in that first game. And I thought Turner really struggled too. But did you notice Kyrie, you know, defensively sliding over a little bit more, or was that just me? Yeah, I mean, even in uh, some of the out of bounds plays, he was in the right spot, and, and a couple of times you're thinking, what what's DC or anybody doing making some of those passes? But yeah, he was. He was in good help position. It's almost like he knew uh, what was coming at times, which is not a good look uh, always uh, from Indiana. But yeah, he was. He came to he came to play defensively. You said DC and Turner didn't play well. I'm not sure really anybody played well, <laughs> especially in the second half. But yeah, well, I meant overall. I mean, I didn't really find Collison to be very productive at all that game. Uh, yeah. Turner hit his first shot. Didn't really hear much from him after that. But all right, Flachi, what were your thoughts on the game? It is the game that got away, Tyler, because the Pacers led by as many as 11 in the first half. And, you know, I even tweeted out, and they were up seven at halftime. I mean, you can't ask to be up by more on Boston in this game because holding them to 84 points was their lowest on the year. The problem was is the Pacers scored 74 points, the absolute lowest on the year, when just earlier in the week they scored 73 at halftime 
against the Hawks without their starters, I get it. It was a complete joke of a game, but come on. This was – the Pacers really let this one slip away, and it started with just nonstop missed open jumpers. This is yeah. not the Darren Collison that we needed. Uh, he's been missing in action because since he came back, it has he hasn't looked – like Darren Collison, I thought he had the most open jumpers that were missed. And hey, uh, props to Boston because they they really came out of the the second half ready to go, and the Pacers clearly didn't. You mentioned two baskets in the third quarter, but one of them was a goaltending call. So come on, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, one layup. I think it was a Doug McDermott layup, right? And then he so. missed the and one. I mean, McDermott misses two free throws. I mean, that's just my eyes were bleeding at that point, so I don't really remember who made the shots. Yeah. I was just in it shock. Was, <laughs> it was it was frustrating beyond belief. But the thing is, you know, even after that horrible shooting performance, they were only down by eleven points going into the fourth quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. this could have been a lot worse than what it was. So for me, like one of the things that I thought was interesting was, and I talked about it on the on the video I put out last night. Marcus Morris scored twenty points off the bench. And this is something that I think he had 12 points, 10, I forget. He had double digits. 12 in the first. 12 in the mm-hmm. first half, right? Or was it the first yep. quarter? Yeah, first half. First so, quarter. First quarter. So, I mean, 12 points from Marcus Morris off the bench, and we were up by seven at half. If he doesn't get hot like that, I mean, we could have been up by 15, 20 points, possibly, in that first half going into the second half. And I do think Boston would have been pushing a little bit more. I think the Pacers might have been a little bit more comfortable coming out but I mean you know if they were up by 15 that would have definitely made the two of 19 not look as bad compared to seven because that's eight points when you're down 11 and then the big thing free throws my god this team can't hit free throws I don't know what it is but it just felt like there's a lid on the basket every time they slipped to that charity stripe so Tyler is there any way they can fix the free throw problems or is it just kind of who this team's been all year uh free throws is, is such a mental thing I mean and it's contagious. Like you start missing a couple and, you know, I see it at every level, uh, coaching or being a fan, you know, even in the NBA, these guys, you know, the money they make and the, the practice that they put in. Um, I love when I hear some like old lady Pacer fans say they should practice free throws. Well, trust me, they practice, but um, it is it can be a mental thing. And, you know, they need to have the confidence that Edmund Sumner had at the end of that game the other night. Just right. step up, be calm, put it in. It's a free shot. Put it in there. I mean, you have to. In the beginning of the year, you guys remember just how horrible the Pacers were in free throws. Everybody was missing them. I thought they they obviously improved on that a bit, but it's it's not just the free throws. It's just across the board. They came out flat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just saw everybody was missing the free throws. We ended up going 12 of 21. I mean, sure, in a game where it ended up being a 10-point game, but it was much more than just that. Those free throws make this game a lot closer. And the saddest thing is that's the first time Boston won this year scoring under 100 points. Wow, that's an interesting stat right there. Yeah, for sure. No, and, I, and I want to talk about this a little bit, and I know that you want to bring some some guys up as well. But when the Pacers looked the best, it's when Tyreek Evans had six straight points in a row, followed by Corey Joseph three. Pacers were just playing great defensively in that first half. And they were causing Boston turnovers, which were leading to fast break points. And that's something that the Pacers struggled with against Boston all series. Then you flip it over into the second half, and the Pacers were not getting out in transition. Boston was making all the plays, and it just showed like that's how the lead got down so quick because the Pacers just don't have a guy without Oladipo who can just get to the basket. Um, and as 
much as it hurts me to say this, the only guy on this team that really can get to the basket and somewhat, you know, create something is Tyreek Evans. And we have been so up and down on him all season long, mostly down. But, I mean, there's been flashes. Uh, I know there was a while there, Fachi had a stat going with when he scores this many points, the Pacers are, you know, undefeated. I forget what that record ended up being, but I know it was a it was a high percentage. And yes. so, you know, with Tyreek, I mean, let me throw this at you guys. Do you think we should be playing Tyreek more minutes just because of his ability to get to the basket and giving us a dynamic that nobody else gives us? I'll start with you t- this first, uh, Fachi. The the thing that you mentioned is when we were doing well when Tyreek scored six straight points, but then he ended up finishing the game three of 11. So you could see where he did come out there. He came out the gates hot. He was getting some things going. But after that, he really cooled off. And I thought there was a couple possessions that he just really hurt the team. I mean, only one assist. I, I want you to be able to – if he can be making plays, not just looking to score, we can do a lot more. Because, yes, you, you mentioned it before, he was being aggressive trying to take it to the rim. And I, I did love that when it was going well. But after a while, it wasn't going too well. Yeah. Tyler? Yeah, I'm kind of torn on this, as I have been for much of the year. I mean, you're definitely right that he's like the only guy that can create. And it was going well early. You know, he was looking at the crowd and um, kind of giving some Reggie stares. And then, you know, he started bricking everything after that. But um, oh, it, it is it is true that uh, when he's going, uh, when he's going well and being aggressive, I would uh, I would tend to play him more. If he gets in one of his cold spells, though, this year, he, I don't think he's typically been the guy um, after he gets cold to like find it. Like you know, how some shooters can find right. it, and that's why you got to keep rolling with them. I don't think he's really been that. So if he's having one of his stretches where he's bricking everything, throwing the ball over the place. I probably would not give him more minutes in that scenario, but if he's rolling, then you got to go with it. Well, let's talk about the rotation a little bit. We saw TJ Leaf uh, get 10 minutes yesterday. I don't remember how many uh, McDermott got, but he got a little bit more than Leaf. Um, you know, these guys really were not productive at all yesterday. I know Leaf looked like he was a little nervous out there, missing some easy putback rebounds in the first half. Uh, just, I mean, I get it. It's the playoffs. He's not really been in this position before, so he's got a little bubble guts and a little nervous. But uh, Tyler, is there any changes you can make with the rotation? Man, I, I've I've tried to think about it because as far as adjustments for game two, even I've just been thinking, what can they do? And the only thing I can come up with is they they just need to have some different options in their back pocket to try if things are not going well. I'm really, honestly, the way the the roster is constructed right now, I'm not sure what that looks like. Um, we'll talk about holiday in a minute. I'm not saying he should be the a rotation guy necessarily, but, um, you got to have options. You know, if you're flat, put a guy like holiday in and see what happens. I did see that leaf and McDermott were both uh, plus in the plus minus, although it was in, you know, basically one good stretch that the Pacers had. So maybe not crediting them very much because they were bricking it like everybody else, but, um, <laughs> you, you got to try something. You can't be predictable. Every game of a playoff series has its own DNA and is different. And you have to make adjustments, and you have to try something if it's not working. Fachi? I mean, I'm all for trying to make adjustments because the Pacers didn't really seem like they did make those adjustments. I was kind of surprised to see TJ Leaf come in that early and still play 10 minutes when he did look very nervous out there. Um, obviously, it's it's not that popular of a thing, but like maybe get Kyle Quinn a couple more minutes and take those away from TJ Leaf. Because we, the Pacers had no option for stopping Baines and Horford on the boards. They really didn't. 
Um, Boston, once again, out-rebounded the Pacers by 13 on this game. You, you have to make some changes to that. And I really need to see Collison get something going because this is not the Darren Collison that we saw earlier in the year. I mean, if you're not going to make shots, protect the ball. And he wasn't even doing that. Three three turnovers to five assists, that's not Darren Collison taking care of the ball. Well, one thing that's interesting about Collison is when he gets a big switched on him, he doesn't drive to the basket and drive around him. He tries to get a quick little jump shot over him. And Horford is just such a, a great defender, no matter who he's guarding. And so I think that's going to be difficult if he gets in a pick and roll with Horford to shoot over him. So I would be interested to see how he can attack that. But, you know, you're right. Collison's got to play better. He's another guy that can kind of get to the basket in a sense but uh, and create for others. But he's just got to be a little bit sharper. And maybe he is still dealing with some of those injuries that he had before the before he came back. So uh, he even mentioned it, I know, in, a, in an interview like a couple weeks ago where he said, I'm getting older. My body doesn't heal as fast as it used to. And he's put a lot of miles on that body. So that's one thing, you know, you just got to remember, like he is a veteran point guard who's got – plenty of NBA experience under him so hopefully that he hopefully those injuries heal up but on a bright side Corey Joseph five of nine off the bench 14 points probably the best player yesterday for the Pacers uh, you know if Corey's playing this well do you think he should be getting more minutes than Darren Collison I'll start with you Tyler oh the the never-ending point guard uh, debate for the Indiana Pacers it lives on uh, is George Hill is George Hill a true point guard? No, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's again, it's a situation where you just got to play the hot hand. Like none of these guys are like so far above anybody else on the team. I mean, you just got to go with with who's playing well. If Sabonis is clearly out playing Turner, roll with him. You know, if uh, like Bogdanovich is the one guy, him and Young, they got to get their minutes. But point guard situation, if you're not cutting it, you got to make a change. Somebody's got to get it done. If Corey is having a good game, maybe he gets some more minutes and Collison still looks like he's hobbled um, or holiday. So play who's hot. Make the adjustments. Honestly, I don't want to overreact. Corey Joseph was definitely the best pacer yesterday. That was evident. And he played his best game in probably a few months from at least an offensive standpoint. I'm not ready to really get sour on Darren Collison. I think that he could come back for game two and show us something different. So I think that their minutes, they were, they're very similar. Collison played 25, uh, Corey played 23. I think that that's fine. But yes, if, if Corey Joseph is looking, you know, significantly better than Collison, sure, roll with it. But because we need some type of answer at point guard, because if you can't penetrate, if you can't even create for other guys, then and there's no way this offense is going to be able to compete with Boston when we know Boston did not have it the other night. So yeah. I, I would imagine that Boston's going to pick it up. Yeah, hey, I will say real quick, uh, mm-hmm. Darren Collison, I, I saw this article on Indy Star. Um, I think he was talking to Greg Doyle, but Collison said uh, – I'm more than fine and confident I'll find my rhythm. And then he said, after game two, we'll talk again and we'll see what's up. So you, okay. you can't you can't say I that like he's it. not confident at least. Well, that's I good. Like I, I like it too. And I and that's why I kind of said last time on the on the video that I did, just kind of recapping the game. It's like this team is going to make adjustments. I don't think they're going to go down without a fight. I've seen people getting so frustrated with this team already after one game. It's like Pacer fans, just calm down. Like you know, we had a poor shooting night. If you've watched the Pacers over the last month, you know that they've struggled in third quarters. You know, so quit getting so worked up. Like this is nothing new that you haven't seen before. 
the the Celtics are probably one of the best defensive teams with one of the best schematic coaches in the NBA. They were going they've seen you twice in the last like three weeks too, so they know your tendencies. They know what you're gonna do and they're really doing a great job scouting. And I think the Pacers did a pretty good job scouting the, the Celtics. I mean, we held them to eighty four points, like we said. And one thing I thought they did terrific at was eliminating Domas Abonis in the post. I mean, I don't know how many times he got the ball about 10 feet out, you know, with that jump shot available. He didn't always shoot it. He shot it some. He went three for nine, but, I mean, he was not in the paint like he was a couple of Fridays ago against Aaron Baines, just dominating him in the post. They were not giving that to him. So, um, Fachi, I mean, can the Pacers counter that and find a way to get Domas more in the post? Maybe maybe eliminate some pick and rolls with him because I feel like if they bring him out that high, it's easier to guard him out there. You have to. This is going to be a physical series, and it already started with Jalen Brown shoving Boyan. I mean, you can see it's going to be a very physical well, series. Let me stop you real quick. So you mentioned that Jalen Brown pushed down uh, or pushed Boyan, right? Yes. Did you not? This was just me. I felt like the team should have reacted. I wish. I wish some of the guys would have been like in in his face, Brown's face, for pushing Boyan. No reaction. All the guys just kind of looked at him like, okay. A hundred percent agree with you because if roles were reversed and Marcus Smart was in there, you know Marcus Smart would be all up in there reacting. I thought the Pacers kind of there wasn't that like you know that real chip to fight back and say hey you know don't touch him like that and I, I think that that's unfortunate. You know a guy like Lance Stevenson in the past was kind of someone who could get people riled up a bit. I think right now we're we're missing that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, Tyler, anything on those two things? Uh, I agree. I mean, when it happened, I was like, okay, no one's, I mean, I was shocked that it happened in the first place. And maybe the guys were too like, okay, you guys are like up on us. And then bogey at that time didn't touch him. He was just trying to get open and you just push him. I was like, okay. So I don't know if that was, if that was their thought, but yeah, definitely in those type of situations, you miss a Lance Stevenson type, um, unless he was on the bench at the time, then he'd come running on the court and get suspended or something. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I've, I've held off too long. I'm going to unleash the beast. Tyler, give us your Aaron Holiday rant. <laughs> I feel like getting all Stephen A. Smith in this moment. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Now, the thing is, if Stephen A. Smith ever cared about the Pacers, maybe he would go off on, on this segment. But um, I, I just I – was, I was picturing my inner Stephen A. when I was thinking, like, you make one shot in nine minutes – and you still can't give the kid a chance? I mean, come on. Yeah. Holiday is instant offense. He he has no fear. He's never going to be afraid of the moment. Um, you know, that guy would probably cut. You know, he gets a bucket within the first, like, 30 seconds almost every time he steps on the court. So, and again, I've said from the beginning, before the series started, you know, Aaron Holiday, if he's not as playoff ready, fine. If he's not, if he's not in the rotation even, that's fine. But I think there are certain moments when they have to give him a look. Third quarter, when you have one bucket in nine minutes, is the time to give him a look. Instant offense, no fear. And, you know, not only would it be good for Holiday's development, but I also think it would help the Pacers uh, in the series. So you, it's it's a win-win situation for me. And and I've said it ever since Oladipo got hurt, that I wanted Holiday to get more time. Um, I wanted to see what he could do. And fast forward to where we are now, I understand why McMillan is going with some veteran guys. The Pacers are trying to win a playoff series. They're not you know worried about developing guys right now. But as I said before, there are certain times when uh, it does make sense to try Aaron Holiday. So I want to see it possibly in game two if you have a stretch where the offense is flat. Give the kid a chance, and we'll see what happens if they do. I'm all for it. 
all for it. Nate has to be crafty uh, on the offensive side of things. I think he called a good game defensively. I mean, it's getting lost in the shuffle that Boston shot 36% in the series. Kyrie Irving, a guy who shot over 50% in the series against the Pacers, was held to 6 of 17 shooting. So I loved it from the defensive side. But Holiday, he does provide that spark. He actually made the only three-pointer that the Pacers hit in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, there you go. <laughs> come on. They, they were dreadful from three. So, and he did it just immediately, also. So, you got to love the confidence there. Um, I'm all for it. Give him some more minutes. Yeah, he shot 100% from the field yesterday. If that doesn't scream, play me. I don't know what can when you shot that poorly in the second half. So, yeah, definitely. I'm all for Aaron Holiday getting some minutes. I think that it'd be fun just to watch him grow as a player, especially since you've got to make a decision this summer. You've got. Two upcoming free agent point guards, Collison and Corey Joseph. Are they going to bring one back? Are they going to bring both back? Are they going to bring any of them back? I mean, it's it's up in the air. Nobody knows for sure. I think this playoff series will be a uh, a little bit of a, of a trial, I guess you could say, for them to kind of prove themselves. And, you know, I'm okay if Corey Joseph comes back as a backup point guard, but at the end of the day, would you rather have Aaron Holiday next year as your backup or Corey Joseth? Some would argue they'd rather have Holiday. I know Tony East would probably say Corey Joseph because that's his guy. <laughs> And he loves his defense, which I do too. But, you know, they've got to upgrade that position first things first in this offseason because we know Oladipo is not going to be 100% healthy by the playoffs next year. I mean, it's it's possible that he could be, but it's going to be a long, you know, turnaround. We saw the same thing with Paul George when he got hurt, Gordon Hayward. It takes a while when you have these kind of injuries to come back from them. And if the Pacers want to be competitive next year, they're going to need another score out there on the perimeter and we're seeing it right now, Tyler. I just don't think Bojan is that is that guy that can just be a flat-out scorer for your team. Uh, what is Boston doing, though, to prevent Bojan from, you know, just getting comfortable? Um, I think uh, they just have a really good coach and the way they study film, and they're just trying to get him uncomfortable. I still, and again, I'm not, hopefully I don't sound like I'm bashing Nate McMillan too much. I think he's a good coach overall. But this offense has is, is really been predictable and really for the last couple of years. And having Oladipo in there makes up for some of that. There's more things you can do and, and you have a playmaker. But without playmakers, uh, it's it's not too – this offense is not too difficult to stop unless the guys are hitting threes, unless they're getting stops out in, in transition buckets. Um, but if you look at their sets, man, it's like – I mean, I don't know. It's like four or five plays, um, which really worked for uh, – what was it, Herman Boone and uh, Remember the Titans? Um, yeah. It worked for his offense, but um, it's not going to work in the NBA. So I don't blame everything on Bogey. Uh, I believe the system is a little bit um, maybe not great for him, but he clearly is a better player when he's got an Oladipo type. So I'm still 100% in the bring Boyan back uh, tribe for, for next season. Um, but they got to find a way to – to run him off, uh, get him open, and, and get some better looks because it's not been working the last couple games against Boston. At what price do you bring him back, though? I've seen some numbers floated around that I actually would be okay with, which is around the three-year, forty-five million range. Fifteen million—that's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's it's still you know fairly pricey for a small market, but I think if he if the market for him is in that range, I think I think he would come back, and I think the Pacers would give him that. I think it might be a little bit more. I think it might be around that seventeen million dollar mark. Uh, I, I could I could see something around that, maybe closer to the three years, fifty million. This is really his opportunity to cash in, and it was a career year, so I, I can't blame him. Um, but 
I mean, I I was very unhappy with the performance yesterday in regards to, from a box score standpoint, it might say 12 points, which even that is rough. But about seven of those came in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach. So he needs to be way more aggressive. I think it was five shots at halftime. So you got to find ways to get him involved because Boston was getting open looks at threes. Tatum was getting open looks. Marcus Morris was getting open looks. We have to get him open looks. And it hurts. You're not going to have Oladipo. He's not walking through that door. He's not, probably not even going to be on the bench. So I thought that was kind of disappointing. But what can you do about that? Game um, three. Game three. Yeah, they're, they're saying back in that, Indy he'll be there. That's that's what I'm hoping because I knew once the Pacers announced him as the social media guy, I went, oh, no, he's not showing up in Boston, is he? So that was tough. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. I love the passion, Fachi. You always bring it. I love it. <laughs> But yeah, so no, I, I think, <laughs> I think, sorry, I think one of the the things that we need to really point out though that we probably haven't talked about was Thaddeus Young getting a foul trouble. That third foul he picked up, which was a terrible call when Hayward was trying to avoid another defender, went behind the back. Thad reached in and they caught a foul on him. He didn't even touch him. The ball is behind his back. And then the fourth foul he picked up early in the third quarter. As soon as he went out, we went to Domas and Miles. It was awful, absolutely awful. So. I, I do think that if we can keep Thaddeus out of out of foul trouble, that can be a bonus for us. Just because while you're not hitting shots, he's a guy that's going to dive on the floor. He's going to come back and block out Horford when he's at half court. You know, this is just he just makes the extra plays that some of these other guys don't. He is the glue guy. He is their team leader, and they need him in there as much as possible if they want to win. I understand that you want to play Miles and Sabonis sometimes together because. Th- Thad can't hit the three-point shot, but he does so much more, and I think that overshadows his ability to really lock down guys defensively and just have a defensive presence out there. Even if he gets matched up on smaller guards in the post, he can take them too. So I just I just want to see more Thad, and I hope he stays out of foul trouble. Did you feel like Thad going out was a big part of that, that turnaround, uh, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the one call was ridiculous, but he had a couple fouls out of those first four that was like, that was a really, really dumb foul. So he's got to be smarter. Um, You mentioned his defense. I mean, I didn't really realize it until I looked at the box score. He had five steals, six assists, four boards. Um, Even though he was three of eight, he was just minus five in the plus minus, whereas Turner was minus 14, Sabonis minus 13. So he does a lot of things uh, that they need. So definitely you keep that on the court for 32, 35 minutes. You knock down some threes and you play the same kind of defense and you feel better about your chances. Everything changed with that young picked up that third and fourth foul. The third foul, he goes out with about four minutes to go in the first half. Boston goes on a run. And that ended up, when we had that 11-point lead, quickly shrink down, and Terry Rozier ends up hitting that big three right before halftime. you got to be thinking that had to have swung some type of momentum for Boston because we didn't come out. We came out flat. They came out not even that great, but we just came out so poorly in that third quarter that there was no coming back from that. That fourth foul, when he went out in in the third the Pacers had nothing going at all. So the game changed when that happened. Well, I want to ask you this, Fachi. You brought it up. You said Miles Turner has got to be the X factor for this team if they want to win this series. And in this series so far, through five games this season, he's only played decent in one of them. So I know Boston is a great you know, defensive team. 
do you think that this matchup is just a bad matchup for Miles, or do you think it's more so the the play calling from McMillan and not getting him enough touches? I, I think part of the second, because I don't think the matchup is that bad. I think that you have to get him more touches. Miles Turner had was it six shots in the whole game? Yep. Yeah, he had one point and three rebounds in the second half. He was a ghost. I thought it was literally haunted in Boston. I was embarrassed by the showing. He played the second most minutes on the team. There is no excuse. Wasn't in foul trouble like that, that limited. He just did not show up. So I thought that Horford completely outplayed him. I mean, even Aaron Baines, he's never going to be a scorer, but even he still pulled out the nine boards with what I was saying. You can't be letting Aaron Baines just be dominating on the glass like this. So uh, Miles Turner has to step up. I want to see Nate draw more plays to get him going early because I believe it was Miles actually hit the first shot of the game. I believe. Yeah. And then after that, it was he just disappeared. So, so, so you think it was McMillan's fault for not getting him involved, or you think it was Boston's defense? Because you said McMillan's offense, then you kind of went into him not showing up. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. I, I think more of the you didn't get him enough touches. I thought Boston did a good job on him, but I thought the bigger problem was not getting him more involved. That's what I'm going to go with. I think Nate needs to draw more plays. Tyler? Yeah, and I've felt that way a lot with Turner throughout the last couple years, actually. I mean, there's times when he's not aggressive enough, and then there's times when it's like, well, they're just not really getting him the ball in very favorable positions. So I want to see Nate focus on one or two guys and say, we've got to get you guys going early. They've done it with Bogey before where they try to get him the first shot of the game, try to get him going. I want to see more of that. Like say, hey, we're going to come out and give Turner three or four looks right off the bat. You know, six shots in a game is ridiculous for a guy that you need. So find find a way, get him open, um, and then maybe uh, he knocks down a couple and that opens the floor. Yeah, I would like to see him maybe roll a little bit more to the basket instead of popping because, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Kyrie was really – you know, shadowing that roll or that pop. And this time, if he rolls instead, now you've got him against Kyrie in the post or, you know, him helping off. And we saw last year against the Cavs, Miles actually really did a nice job of rolling to the basket and hitting Thad Young on that dump off play right there when the weak side guy stepped up. So maybe that's a different way they can attack it is if Miles rolls more instead of, um, instead of pops. I know that he's a good shooter, but maybe get a little bit more physical down there. I know that he's, he's been more physical this year. I think he's, taking it personal from, you know, a lot of what you would call haters have been out there calling him kind of, you know, like a soft player. So, yeah, that's one thing he's got to work on. And then the last thing I want to touch on is just uh, Wesley Matthews guarding Kyrie Irving. Did we like that? I did. You did? I did. I thought yeah. I thought in the beginning of the game, you know, for the first half, Kyrie really was not that big of a factor. It was Marcus Morris who got off to the hot start. So I thought between Corey Joseph and, and Wesley Matthews guarding uh, Kari at times, I liked it. Uh, like I said before, you know, it held him a 35% field goal percentage when he averaged over 50% throughout the four games. So I thought we did a pretty good job on him. Yeah, if he goes 6 of 17 every game, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, I think you know Matthews wasn't the only reason, but um, yeah. he played pretty well on him. So let's see that again. Yeah, for sure. So as we wrap this podcast up, I'm going to go around Tyler, Fachi, and myself. We're going to give our thoughts on how the Pacers can rebound and make some adjustments in game two. So I'll start with you, Tyler. 
what can the Pacers do for game two? Well, I will say the good news is that typically in the playoffs, every game is completely different, and fans sometimes forget that. They see one game, and they think every single game is going to be exactly like that. Um, I mean, Boston could win every game. That's definitely possible, but every game is usually different. Game two might be like 115 to 110 final score. You just never know. Um, but the Pacers, as I've been saying all along, they got to hit their threes. 22% is not going to cut it. They got to shoot 40 or better at least to even have a chance. Also, I want to see how it works in game two when Boston has this 1-0 lead. Sometimes teams get more relaxed when they do that and they play better. Right. Um, and sometimes sometimes they lay an egg and they don't have the urgency that they had in game one. So I'm hoping that's what happens and the Pacers come out with a sense of urgency because if they want to last more than four or five games in the series, I think they need to get game two. Got to be physical. I'm not, I'm not telling Kylo Quinn to hit anybody in the mouth, but you need to come out there and you need to let Boston know that you're not going to get pushed around. 74 points. It sounds bad, but we were the laughing stock of the, of the opening weekend for playoffs. It was bad. So I want to see Miles Turner be way more aggressive. You have to set the tone early on. I want to see Sabonis be banging in the paint more. And, and just you got to be able to draw up some different plays for Bogdanovich because I, we all knew going into this series with him as our leading scorer, you didn't feel too confident. But what we just saw was very discouraging. So I want to see Bogdanovich come out from the gates, shoot his first jumper pretty much immediately, set the tone. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think both of you guys made great points. And one thing I really like that you said, Tyler, is how does Boston, you know, approach game two? They they played horrible in game one, and they and they just completely had, had no worries in that second half because Pacers played so terribly. So maybe they coast thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy series. No Oladipo. But the Pacers, they should be completely embarrassed with how they played in that second half. I expect them to bounce back completely, come out, set the tone, and and they got to hit free throws and they just got to hit shots. I mean, if the shots are open, you're getting good looks, you just got to knock them down. It's simple. I know it's not in-depth, but that's just like you talked about before the series started, Tyler. If you hit open shots, this is a different game. You might even walk out with a win. And then my last thing is, McMillan, you got to be shorter on your rotations. If, if, if you got guys that aren't playing well or, you know, if T.J. Leaf gets a rebound, misses an easy putback and loses somebody on defense the next play, pull him out of the game. No offense to T.J. You just you got to keep Thad in there. you got to play him as many minutes as possible. It's a winner go home. You know, if, if, if Thad, Miles, and Domas are the only ones that play for the bigs, I'm completely fine with it as long as they're being productive. So just shorten up those rotations and play the hot hand because right now, you're playing nine guys with no all-stars, and you just got to find the hot hand. So I think the Pacers will have a chance in this game, too. Don't get me wrong. I think they are going to be desperate. They're going to be clawing. They're hungry. They're upset with the way they finished this last game. And they're not going to just go down without a fight. We said it before, like you mentioned, Darren Collison's comment to Greg Doyle. I love it. This team, to me, I, I don't understand why people are so negative about this. Yeah, you lost the first game. Come out and win game two. If you don't, you still got two games on your home court to make this a series. The, the series isn't over. You know, Boston couldn't win against the Bucks in Milwaukee last year in round one. So why can't it be different for Indiana? I mean, uh, the Pacers just have to play better. So uh, with that being said, we're going to wrap it up here. You can follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you can't find it on there, just go to Spreaker.com, type in Setting the Pace. We're on there as well. You can search my name, Alex Golden, there because I uploaded this podcast. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at TylerSmith underscore ISL, Fachi at underscore FACCI, and I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And we'll see you all tomorrow when we talk with former Pacer Trevor Booker. Talk to you all then. <laughs>